there are people out there who want to do evil but don't want to have to pay and suffer the consequences for the evil they do. Now they want help to get out of stuff they've gotten themselves in. And I've come to realize in the past life that you help people get out of stuff and they go and get in more stuff. And then you help them out of stuff and they go and get in more stuff. Are you helping them? But to not help them, there's this sense of guilt, you know, that you could help them, but now you got to restrain yourself from helping them because the real help requires restraint. Some people might call that tough love. How can you say you love somebody and you won't help them when they get in a mess because you helped them when they were in messes and they haven't learned from the messes that they've gotten in. And every time you help them, just simply say to them, it's okay to get in messes because I'm gonna be there for you. And if you're not there, they wanna make you feel guilty and ashamed. Imagine folks getting themselves in messes and they got an issue with you because you won't help them get out of it. It's like, I didn't help you get in that mess. I'm thankful that the Almighty is not like that. Especially in the sense when it comes down to He helped us even when we get ourselves in messes. But how many of you know He may not show up when we want Him? But He's always on time. And sometimes He allow us to go through it. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Repentance is required to receive the message of the kingdom and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. John the Baptist preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeshua taught his disciples and sent them out to proclaim this message. Many who heard the message received the message, but the religious leaders of Israel resisted and fought the ministry of Yeshua and his message of repentance. The refusal to receive the message of repentance was the result of Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He had blinded the minds of the religious leaders and dispatched evil spirits that occupied and bound up the people in the land. Repentance and acceptance of the gospel of the kingdom was the only hope for the people then and now to be set free from the bondage of Satan and the evil spirits that bound them. Today's study title is Repentance and Evil Spirits. So. Let's study. So today we are in, again, Matthew chapter number 12. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 50. And those of you who are on our email list, you notice I sent out the email and we talked about to give you a introduction to this teaching that repentance is required to receive the message of the kingdom and to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, I know the Bible call it the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. It calls it the kingdom of God in other places. But we understand that his kingdom is his rule and his reign. His kingdom is his rule and his reign. And therefore, he's the creator of all things. 
He is the king of the kingdom. There are people in his kingdom that does not recognize his kingship. There are people in his kingdom that does not recognize his kingship. There are some who've come to the point to where we confess him as king, Yeshua as Lord and master, and yet may not necessarily live like it. And the goal is for us who confess he is the king of heaven, the king of glory, and that Yeshua is Lord and master, is for him to be Lord and master of our lives every day, all day long. Now, you and I both know that that can be a challenge, especially when we're surrounded by people who don't care, who may not believe or feel the same way that you believe and feel. And so this kingdom of heaven, as the Bible declares in the psalmist, I believe it's Psalms 24, the earth is his, the fullness thereof, they and all that dwell therein. And yet in his earth and in the fullness of it, and amongst those who dwell therein, there are those who don't even believe he exists. And even though they don't believe he exists, he does exist. But yet they don't recognize or acknowledge his existence or that he is in charge or over them. As they would say, you're not the boss of me. John the Baptist preached repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And where did he preach this? He preached it in the land among a people who claimed to be his people. These weren't people who claimed not to be his people. These weren't heathens or Gentiles or folks who had rejected him or folks who were serving multiple deities. These were people who claimed to be the sons and daughters of Abraham, the people of God most high, Jehovah Elohim. Yeshua taught his disciples and sent them out to proclaim this message of the kingdom. Many who heard the message received the message, but the religious leaders of Israel resisted and fought the ministry of Yeshua and his message of repentance. Their refusal to receive the message of repentance was the result of Satan then, just as it is the result of Satan now the prince of the power of the air. Satan had blinded the minds of the religious leaders and dispatched evil spirits that occupied and bound up the people of the land. Repentance and acceptance of the gospel of the kingdom was the only hope for the people then to be set free from the bondage of Satan and the evil spirits that bound them. Repentance and acceptance of the gospel of the kingdom is the only hope for the people now. Yeshua, as we've been going through Matthew, we see that he encountered these demonic forces in the synagogues. He encountered them in the streets and practically everywhere he went, he encountered these forces. In Luke 4.33 and in the synagogue, there was a man which had a spirit of an unclean devil and cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Yeshua of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of Elohim. When I first read this, the thing that really 
got my attention was the fact that this spirit was operating in this man, and this man was actually in synagogue, and synagogue is a place where the teachings of the Almighty were supposed to have been presented, if nothing else, the reading of the word. And yet, here you have an individual bound. Yeshua rebuked him, saying, hold your peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they, the people, were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this, for with authority and power he commanded the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, when I say, because I've never made this statement before, I've never heard anybody make this statement before, and yet the Bible teaches it, but we may not necessarily see it, that Israel was inhabited by demons before Yeshua came. And say that again. Israel was inhabited by demons before Yeshua came. <laughs> I want you to let that sink in for a moment. The devil had literally taken control of the earth as a result of the fall of man. Now, somebody need to deal with that phone because I can't afford no distractions right now. Y'all need to turn your phones off. You mean I've been talking all this time and you haven't heard me? So I'm going to tell you, Father, we just bind these devils right now in the name of Yeshua. We bind them. <laughs> Y'all got to do me better, brothers. It's really no surprise we're having issues today. That's just, that's the nature of the devil. He ain't bothering people who preaching them grace messages. They, they all over the internet. So John came preaching and, and you know, for a long time in church, I, it's like, okay, John came preaching repentance to a people who claimed to be the people of the most high. What would they have to repent of? That's the question that I really never could settle in my mind. Why would he be preaching repentance to people who were supposedly the people of the Most High? I mean, it seemed like he should have been sent to Iran or Iraq somewhere, not Israel. But no, he was sent to Israel. He was sent to preach to the Hebrew people before he was only sent to preach to the Hebrew people, Yeshua came and he preached to the Hebrews and the Greeks and everybody else who came to hear him preach. And he too was preaching repentance. Yeshua called the Pharisees, if you remember the earlier, when we were in chapter 12, the beginning last week, the Pharisees accused him of casting out demons by the power of the devil. And he called them offsprings or generation of vipers. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. He says, oh, generation of vipers. And the thing about this generation in Matthew chapter 12, we're going to see that he's going to be dealing with this particular generation and speaking to them about that five or six times just in this, in chapter 12 of Matthew. He says, oh, generation of vipers. Who is he speaking with? If you go earlier, you'll see that when he cast out the devil, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the people who ran the synagogue said that he's casting out devils by the power of the devil. Yeshua said to him, you know, you can say what you want to say about me, 
But the thing that will not be forgiven is if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit. And what were they doing? They were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? They would not be forgiven for that. Well, they weren't seeking forgiveness. See, people who don't think they need forgiveness is not seeking for forgiveness because they're justified in their mind for their behavior. Oh, generation of vipers, he said, how can ye being evil? Who is he calling evil? The generation of vipers. Who were the generation of vipers? The Pharisees. He would speak to them as we're going to get to. He's going to talk about woe to you Pharisees and you Sadducees and you scribes. The Pharisees controlled the synagogue. The Sadducees controlled the temple. The scribes worked for both Pharisees and Sadducees and were independent. They were the lawyers who were responsible for interpreting the law of Jehovah. And he's calling them all evil. Why? Because Satan is running things. You would be amazed at how much Satan runs religion. Because religion gives people a semblance of godliness. But the power of the Holy Spirit is being denied as it relates to changing a person that that person conforms to the image and likeness of the Most High. We are called to be like him. Sons and daughters are supposed to resemble their parents in the sense of their behavior and their actions and attitudes. <laughs> At least that's the expectations of parents. <laughs> right? You mamas, you daddies, you know, you don't want your children out there misrepresenting you. Man, I'm going to tell you, when I was growing up, it's like you're Bailey. You're Bailey. This was something that was instilled. You are a Bailey. When you leave this house, you remember who you are. You see, don't be out there misrepresenting us. We don't want to hear nothing from any of our neighbors or anybody in the community that you were behaving in a way that brings embarrassment. Parents, don't want to be embarrassed by their children. When children embarrass their parents, guess what? There's some discipline. Good parents discipline their embarrassing children. Father don't want us embarrassing him. Israel was an embarrassment. Messianic and Hebrew rules people, especially people who are Zionists, they hate these kinds of teachings. Because the idea is that, you know, you can't be talking about Israel like that. Listen, brothers and sisters, I'm saying what Yeshua said. Yeshua called them then a generation of vipers. How many of you know, can I tell you something? They were a whole lot more religious than the generation of vipers that are in Israel now. You may not like it, but I done said it because it's true. You know, it's true. If you go, and I encourage, you know, at least once. If you've never been, you ought to go at least once because this whole bubble and idea of a holy land, you know, but there are people who go there and they come back after all the stuff they see. I was communicating with some folks in, <laughs> we were in Tennessee. I was in Tennessee, I'll, I'll say it. And they have this aura 
about Israel that exudes from them. And then we started having some conversations. And that aura was a facade in the sense that they saw the things that I was saying. Those things grieved them, but they didn't want to see them. They didn't want to focus on. It almost reminds me of the woman who is in love with the guy who knocks her around from time to time. And she believes that he's a good guy. Even to the point, even though he smashed her head in a few times, she still wants to marry him. She don't want to see that part. You only want to see the good stuff and ignore the bad stuff, even to the point of hiding it from the people who care about her. You know, there are people out there who hide abuse. They're being abused and they hide it because they're embarrassed. What are they embarrassed? That they made some decisions to like somebody or to love somebody or to marry somebody. And they weren't honest with the people who some people saw stuff, said stuff to them. And they thought that they were only trying to, you know, you know, you have people, you, you just don't want me to be happy. It don't matter who I bring home. You ain't going to like them. Okay, so what am I supposed to do? I, I see the, the heavy makeup on the scar. Wipe that off. Let me see what's under there. I see the bruises. I see when certain subjects come up, how your facial expression changes. There's certain things that I see, and I'm the kind of person I ask a thousand questions because see, you might lie to me three or four times. I'll ask you the same question 20 times. 20 different ways because I know you're lying and I got to flush you out. It's sad that I got to flush you out. Why can't you just tell the truth? Because if you saw what I'm hiding, you would have an issue with it. And if you have an issue with it, knowing that I'm hiding, the issue is not mine. The issue is yours. It's like, wait a minute. It's sad. It's crazy. But that's the world we live in. And so you sure? is the people are watching how he's talking to these people, and they're going, ooh, you know, I, I, I've been feeling that, but he bold enough to say it. You hear what he just said? Go, Jesus. Now, Yeshua. <laughs> when Yeshua sent his disciples out, he specifically gave them authority to cast out unclean spirits. Why would he need to do that? Because the unclean spirits inhabited the land and the people. Matthew 10, 1, and when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to cast them out. I mean, you're sending these guys out for the first time and you're giving them power over unclean spirits. You're telling them you'll tread on serpents and scorpions and nothing by any means hurt you. He wasn't talking about physical serpents and scorpions per se as he was dealing with the mindset of the people and the venom and vitriol that they would speak out against anybody who represent him. These certain, in verse 38, then certain of the scribes of the Pharisees answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. They got a lot of nerve calling him master. Really, teacher. But Yeshua knows, he knows his audience. Yeshua's response put those who asked the question in the category of the evil and 
the adulteress. Look at what he says. Their adultery, well, this is me. I'll, I'll show you what he says in a moment. Their adultery was similar to their forefathers in that they had departed from the way of righteousness and established their own righteousness by adding to the Torah as if the Torah was not perfect as it was. Judaism is Torah-based, as I stated earlier. It's not Torah. Judaism has a lot of Torah in it. So does Christianity. Christianity has a lot of the Bible in it. It really does. You could be in church your whole life and not hear some of the stuff we've been going through as we've been going through these verse-by-verse studies. In verse 39, he answered and said unto them, Now understand who is asking him who we will see a sign from you. Because it says certain scribes. Who's the scribes? Scribes are those who interpret the law. What law? It wasn't, it wasn't American law. Scribes interpreted the Torah. They interpreted the law of Jehovah and the Pharisees. They said, Master. And what is, he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. Who just asked for a sign? So what is he saying to them? Now, he's already called them a generation of vipers. Now he's calling them evil and adulterous. Not so much in adulterous in the sense that they were sleeping around with other men or women, but they were adulterous because they had abandoned the righteousness of the Most High and established their own righteousness through their religion. This is what they had done. He says, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it. So they're saying, Master, we want to see a sign from you. He said, you wicked and evil people, I'm not showing you nothing. That's my interpretation. But I will give you some examples from the word. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What kind of sign is that? That's not what I'm asking for, but that's his response. Yeshua says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. Why? Because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. So what does Yeshua do now? He takes us to the prophet Jonah. In judgment and condemn this generation. Why? Would they condemn that generation? Because one greater than Jonah had come and the people of that generation did not repent as the people did when Jonah preached to them. This is why they would rise up. Jonah 3, 4 says, And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey. Now, this is after the, he had, you know, jumped on the ship to Tarshish. He figured that, you know, I have to tell you that I ain't mad at Jonah because I understand in a sense that When Father gives you the mandate to go and preach to people that you don't think is going to hear what you got to say, your tendency is to go the other way. Why would I go to these people? I already know they're not going to hear me. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken to husbands and wives and, you know, they'll say, he ain't going to hear that. So how do you know? I know. Well, have you tried? I have. But what they're saying is that in their way with their words and it didn't work. I said, well, try again. It's amazing that there are people who are convinced that their spouse is not going to hear what they got to say. And then they finally get the courage to go and say the way it is instructed for them to say. And then they are taken aback because they heard what they said. 
Now, wait a minute. How were you convinced they weren't going to hear you? And now they've heard you. We can convince ourselves, brothers and sisters. Jonah was convinced, so he got on a ship. There was a turbulence in the water. Jonah said, hey, y'all can throw all that stuff overboard, but I'm the one you need to throw overboard. This man was willing to drown. It's like he was ready to drown that sea that go and do what Father told him to do. And Father said, you're not going to get away that easy. I got a fish for you. So he sent the fish. You know the story. The fish swallowed Jonah. I remember some of you probably heard this. There was this girl at school, and she said, the teacher said, you don't believe all that stuff they say in the Bible, right? Girl was talking about, well, Jonah and the fish belly and, and it's like, you know, to some people that sounds crazy. Is there a fish big enough to swallow a man? And even if he swallows a man, can a man survive in the fish belly for three days and three nights? It's a whale of a tale. <laughs> and the thing is, you don't believe that, do you? She says, well, yes. Well, how do you think it happened? Girl says, I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. Teacher says, well, what if he's not in heaven? You know the rest of it, right? The girl said, well, you ask him. <laughs> Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, notice what it says. Did God talk to the people of Nineveh or did Jonah talk to the people of Nineveh? Who went to Nineveh? Jonah. Who was with Jonah? Whose words did Jonah take? When Jonah spoke, Jonah spoke for the Almighty and the people believed the Almighty as Jonah spoke to them. They believed and guess what? They didn't just believe, they did, they did something. They proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth, for the greatest of them, even to the, from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. Yeshua saying, listen, the people of Nineveh compared to you, when the representative of the Most High went to Jonah, went to Nineveh and told them that he was going to destroy that city, the people heard what he said, and they did something. They repented, and the Almighty's wrath was turned from them. And he says, here it is. Father is sending me just like he sent Jonah to them. He's sending me to you, but you won't repent. The people of Nineveh is going to rise up in judgment against you. The queen of the south, he says, shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, the people would have been familiar with both of these stories. I particularly want to take you to 1 Kings because that's where this one's at. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of Jehovah, she came to prove him with hard questions. See, this is why I like people asking questions. It's something when you talk to somebody and they have no questions. No questions? So you believe everything I said? You have no question about what I said or how I said what I said? Do you believe it? Can you accept it? Will you receive it? How do you know they will receive it? They change their ways. 
Here, she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. In other words, she had a caravan of stuff and people with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. In other words, every question she had, because she heard some stuff. She heard some stuff and she came with questions to verify if what she heard was actually true. Because in her mind, it's like, no, nobody can, no. Uh, you, you tell me that there's a man that is all that and some chips. I don't know if they, they may have been some African chips or something, but whatever the case may be, she came because she heard some stuff that got her to such a point to where she had to see for herself. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom, and she's looking around, this is one of the reasons why I've gone through great length to try to make our space look appealing. So that when somebody walk into the facility, because I know what people are going to do, they're going to look around. They're going to look and see just like they're going to look at you. That's, that's one of the reasons why I try to put my best self forward whenever I'm representing the Most High, which is all the time. Because for many people, believing is seeing. They see. And this is, this is what I try to tell ministers and people who are going to be establishing ministry is that you want to try to have a clean, well-lit, attractive-looking space because people can get a little bit more relaxed and actually be more open to hearing what you have to say once they see the attention to detail you have put in the environment that you've invited them into. So she's looking around. She's looking at everything that Solomon has put his hands on. The house that he had built and the meat of his table. She knows that this was an Audi's meat. That food on the table was high class. He had some of the finest on the table because she's checking all this out. Now, she's a queen. She knows what quality is. And she's brought a lot of stuff herself just in case. <laughs> so she, she's watching. She's looking at the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants, watching how, how the servants behave. And the attendance of his ministers, watching how people took care when they were in his presence. And their apparel, how they dressed. His cupbearers. And his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. Now he's at his house. And now he's taking her up to the house of Jehovah. Remember, he built the house of Jehovah before he built this house. And she said, man, this is an awesome place you got here, Saul. Solomon. <laughs> and then she's watching 
how he's going up to the house. I'm just trying to picture, you know, his, his ascent up to the house of Jehovah. And there was no spirit in her. No more. In other words, she was like breathless. She's blown away. This man, from every detail, his movement, his behavior, his dress, his apparel, the, the apparel of the people, everything about him, it was just unbelievable. And she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not the words until I came. And mine eyes had seen it, and behold, the half was not told to me. In other words, they left a lot of stuff out. Now, what they told me was enough for me to come see for myself. But now that I've come to see for myself, man, half the story hasn't been told. The half was not told to me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceeded the fame which I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are these servants which stand continually before thee and that hear your wisdom. Blessed be Jehovah your Elohim. Now, I don't know who she served before she came, but she recognized and acknowledged the Most High, which delighted in thee to set thee on the throne. In other words, the Almighty saw something in you that was so delightful that he made you king. Because Jehovah loved Israel forever, therefore made he the king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king 120 talents of gold. Now, did Solomon need any more gold? I'm going to tell you something, brothers and sisters. Wealth attracts wealth. Poverty attracts poverty. Poverty mentalities attract poverty mentalities. I'm not afraid or ashamed to say that I pray that you all all become wealthy. And I'm not talking about wealthy in spirit only. But in order for that to happen, we got to deal with our way of thinking because a, a lot of kingdom or a lot of religious people got poverty mindsets. There's certain things that, you know, it's amazing how ministries that have wealth attract wealthy people. You ever notice that? It's interesting. In fact, wealthy people don't want to marry no pauper. And then you got folks who, you know, they don't want to marry a pauper even though they are pauper because they're looking for somebody to take them out of their paupery. <laughs> you know I'm telling the truth. <laughs> like, what you got? What you going to do for me? So she gave the king 120 talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. In other words, this woman brought wealth, but she didn't pull that wealth out until she saw what he was about. She had her wealth concealed. Now it tells us she came with all this stuff, but then when she saw all this, then she pulled it out and presented it to him. You know, when, when Solomon or Proverbs talks about your gift will make room for you, how many of you know he wasn't talking about the gifts of the Spirit? He was talking physical gifts because your gift will put you before great men. When you go and you are bearing gifts, you see, whenever I go someplace, 
it's important for me to bring something. I want to bring something. I want to share something. They may not need it, but I want to bring something. Whatever it is, maybe something small. But the fact of the matter is that I try not to go anywhere without taking something because I'm not coming to take. I'm a giver. And we should all be givers. And I'm not prepping you for offering time. I'm talking about as a lifestyle. As some folks say, oh, is it that time yet? Already? No, that's not what this is about. <laughs> when the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest. Now you got to look at the setup. Because what Yeshua has said up until this point, one, he's coming to a land at a time when the people were completely backslidden that had a religious system of synagogues almost in every city, a temple that did not have an ark, people who came by the masses to bring their, their first fruits, their tithes, their offerings, their, their vows, their free will offerings, their gifts, and everything else. And yet the land was inhabited by people who were bound by devils including the religious leaders who are serpents and vipers. Think about that for a moment. Now, Yeshua is going to talk about unclean spirits. Now, remember, he's already sent his disciples out and told them, when you go, cast these devils out. Cast the devils out and heal. And we know in other places where dumb and deaf was based on unclean spirits. The epilepsy, we haven't gotten to that, but the man who brought his son to Yeshua, who was unclean, had an unclean spirit that threw him around, threw him in the fire, that these sicknesses and diseases that was operating in people, many of them were attributed to unclean spirits. And so now he's saying, listen, when the unclean spirit is going out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Some of you have heard me state that I don't do deliverance the way I used to do deliverance, casting out devils. Getting rid of an evil spirit alone does not protect you from evil spirits. You can cast out devils all day long out of people. We must commence to building a defense system. Our defense system is faith in Yeshua and his word, the word of Jehovah, the word made flesh. Now, those of you who are tuned in to the Middle East, you've heard of something called an iron dome. This iron dome is designed to intercept missiles and rockets that is fired into the land and it attacks them and disintegrate them in midair. See, our iron dome, if you would, is his word. It's his word. His word is what helps us maintain our freedom. 
When the Almighty delivered the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, he brought them to the mountain, and there he began to give them the word that will set them above all the nations of the world. And as long as they adhered to that word, they would never go back in bondage again. His word is designed to keep you free. But you have to be a doer. The enemy is constantly looking. Checking, seeking, is not enough to be saved and sanctified today. In the morning, you got to be saved and sanctified in the afternoon, saved and sanctified in the evening. Your friends should be saved and sanctified. Because if you saved and sanctified, hanging out with unsaved, unsanctified people, your character will become corrupt. Evil communication corrupts good character. You'll find yourself using terminologies like they use. You'll find yourself trying to fit in amongst them so you don't seem like an outsider. The Almighty did not call us to blend in. He called us to stand out. <laughs> There's too much blending in going on. Believing in and believing Yeshua is part of the process. Kingdom-minded living protects you from evil spirits. Let me present the case for you. Then he said, now remember what he says, when an unclean spirit has been gone out. Now, the unclean spirit has said, man, he done kicked me out of my house. He just got evicted, right? It's like I'm homeless. <laughs> It's a homeless spirit now, right? It's looking for some shelter. It's cold out here. He says, I'll return to my house. Now, he's just been evicted, but he's still claiming the house is his. It's like, whoa, buddy, you just got evicted. Yeah, but it's still my house. Ooh, what are you doing out here? Oh, I'll be back. <laughs> That's what he said. I'll be back. <laughs> he said, then he said, I will return. <laughs> yeah, you got me out, but I'm coming back into my house from whence I came out. And when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. Now you got a squatter with some homies a posse of squatters, right? He taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. And notice what he likened that to. Even so shall it be also unto this wicked generation. I'm going to bring this all home here in a moment. The evil spirits inhabited the land before Yeshua came. When Yeshua showed up, they recognized him. In Matthew 8, 29, it says, and behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with you, Yeshua, son of God? Are you come hither to torment us before the time? Now they know their time is short, but it's like they had more time than that. And interestingly enough, Yeshua said he didn't come to condemn. 
He didn't come to condemn. The people were already condemned before he came. Why were they condemned? Because Satan was in charge. The devil and, and the evil spirits ran the place. Yeshua's presence served notice to the demonic forces that had filled the land that the kingdom of heaven was here. John came saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Yeshua came and said the kingdom of heaven is here. Repentance and believing the gospel of the kingdom presented by Yeshua would have set the stage for deliverance, freedom, and the abundant life by the Holy Spirit Yeshua came to give. But rejection of the kingdom gospel could cause the people to be in a worse state, inhabited by more demons after Yeshua was no longer present and the Holy Spirit not received. The religious leaders rejected Yeshua and the gospel of the kingdom, blasphemed the Holy Spirit, conspired to murder him, and by doing so condemned themselves. And what happened? Israel, from that time, progressively descended into darkness, persecuted the followers of Yeshua, and ultimately Jerusalem and the temple was destroyed and never rebuilt to this day. Their rejection of the king, the son of Yehovah, put them on a path of destruction. I know we see it as something other than what it may have been, but think about this. Look at you. When you have come into the truth, the knowledge of the Almighty, you knew what you were before. You knew how you thought before. You knew how you behaved before. You knew how you acted before. You know how easily you would have been set off. Somebody look at you funny, cross-eyed, say something about your mama. Oh, them fighting words, you know, I mean, you be ready to go off on somebody. But you're not as quick-tempered now. You're not as hot-headed now. There's a little bit more restraint in you. Now, that don't mean somebody come and slap you. You ain't ready for the, the slap on the cheek yet. But... <laughs> But you close. Some of y'all there already. You slap them on one side, they turn the other cheek just like, just like that. It's like, bam, here. <laughs> right? Some of you, you aren't there yet. But you've come a long way. Imagine the outcome of Israel had they accepted Yeshua and used you as an example of what could have possibly happened to the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, the people, their teaching would have been a little different. They would have been more focused on pointing people to the Most High. I'm sure it would have affected the whole temple service, the synagogue service. The people would have been more open to this idea of the kingdom, I suspect it would have changed the whole nation because that's what was supposed to happen. But we know it didn't happen. Why? Because the people who were responsible for teaching the people were so busy protecting their own agendas and their kingdoms, protecting their ministries and their denominations. It is rare today that you have people who will preach the gospel of the kingdom without an agenda of trying to gather and build people 
thus build themselves in the process. Do you know, just as Yeshua, he didn't come to build a particular denomination of people. He gathered people. He taught them. What did he teach them? He taught them about Father. He taught them to prepare themselves to receive his spirit. He taught them the things that he taught them that they should teach other people. And the people who received his message and did what he taught saw people's lives transformed. And they saw people's lives transformed. And that cycle continued. You also had individuals who were more inclined to, to build a reputation for themselves. When you don't have a reputation to build, you will say whatever Father gives you, even though you know it's going to cost you. You know it's going to cost you. I'm telling you, he said to me, he's given me things to say to people and then revealed to me that when you say them, say this, you're going to lose them. I've been prepared to lose people, thankfully. Haven't lost everybody. <laughs> but we've lost some folks. And I can tell you right now, it don't bother me in the sense of being a man of Elohim. It bothers me as a person. It hurts my feelings. <laughs> Messes with my little ego which I'm not supposed to have, but it just reveals, it just reminds me of, of my humanity and my carnality. It does. And then to hear people say, man, with the stuff you preach, you should have a packed house all the time. It's like, yeah, right. <laughs> I remember back in the day, I would stand and say stuff. If there's nobody here but me and my family, I'm going to stand and preach what Father gives me. Some of you all may remember me saying that. I meant it then. I mean it now. <laughs> We're still moving. So Israel rejected this teaching. Verse 12 of verse 46. While he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brother, brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. So let me, let me just take you back before I move here. Israel was inhabited by demons inhabited by unclean spirits. The king was wicked. The Roman government was wicked. The synagogue leaders were wicked. The temple rulers were wicked. You just had a, a smorgasbord of wickedness operating in the land. Messiah shows up. And those wicked spirits recognized the Holy One of Jehovah. They recognized him. Yeshua would minister to people who had been inhabited by demons and then tell them not to go and tell nobody, and they went and told people. Why? Because the devil wanted him to be outed. They wanted him to be outed, and you know what? When the Pharisees said he cast out devils by the spirit of the devil, the devil kept quiet. So holy, I didn't send him. He's not from me, but he'd already defeated the devil anyway, right? In the wilderness. So the devil now wants him outed. Why? 
because what Yeshua is saying, listen, you guys are a generation of vipers. You are a wicked, evil, and adulterous generation. You're full of unclean spirits and devils. And now deliverance has come. These demons in the, in the land of Israel now has to take a step back because they recognize the authority that has come from heaven and the kingdom that has come. But what did the kingdom of heaven come for? To bring the people of Israel into the kingdom, but they rejected it. And Yeshua says, listen, the unclean spirit has been addressed. The unclean spirit has been driven out. People are being delivered. People are being healed. The dead is being raised. Now your job is to receive this gospel message so that you can maintain the deliverance that has come. They rejected the message. The unclean spirit is roving. Yeshua gets crucified. Now what happens? The land that has rejected the kingdom gospel is garnished, is swept clean, but is uninhabited. And guess what? Them spirits come right back. In the worst case of Israel, the latter state of Israel was worse. The latter state of people who reject the kingdom gospel will be worse. This is serious business, folks. It is very serious business. They couldn't see it. They didn't want to see it. In the midst of all this, his mama and his brothers come. They stood without desiring to speak with him. Now, foundation here. Well, a reasonable question. Why were they there to speak to him? See, Mark informs us that they were there to apprehend him or take him, for they thought he had lost his mind. Mark 3.21. And when his friends heard of it, now here the King James used the word friend. That'll throw you off. Did Yeshua have friends? Who was his friends? A friend of mine sent me a, a Bible. It was a Jewish Bible. And in, the, in that passage it said, his disciples. Wait a minute, his disciples were with him. But it says, and when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. Would his disciples do that to lay hold on him? His friends that he didn't have? That's the King James Version. The New International Version says, when his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said he's out of his mind. The Geneva Bible, 1599, says, and when his kinfolks heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is beside himself. The 1611 King James Bible says, and when his friends heard of it, but in the margin of the 1611, it says his kinfolk. The Aramaic English New Testament, and when his own people heard, they went out to seize him, for they were saying he were crazy. The Amplified, and when those who belonged to him his kinsmen heard it. They went out to take him by force, for they kept saying he is out of his mind, beside himself, deranged. The New American Standard Bible says when his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying he had lost his senses. 
the Derby. And his relatives, having heard of it, went out to lay hold on him, for they said he is out of his mind. The New Living Translation, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him home with them. <laughs> He's out of his mind, they said. The New Revised Standard Version, when his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying he's going out of his mind. The complete Jewish Bible, when his family heard about this, they set out to take charge of him, for they said he is out of his mind. What are they hearing? They're hearing what is being said by the people in authority. This man has some devils. This man is demonically possessed. This man is operating under the power of the devil. This man is casting out devils by the power of the devil. This man is against God. He needs to be stoned. He needs to be persecuted. He needs to be put down like a rabid dog. That's what they were saying about it. Imagine that being your brother. Think about it. This stuff is coming to you. Your son <laughs> claimed to be God. Your son is operating by devils. Your son is leading people astray. Your son is a false teacher. Your son is leading people away from God. Your son is teaching a works foundation, not grace. And now it's like we need to go get him. So his mother and brothers are outside. Now he's inside ministering. His disciples come to him and say, hey, your family wants to see you. And I can imagine Yeshua because, you know, he had the ability to know what people's thinking. Yeah, they think I'm crazy. I don't have time for them. In fact, you know what I have time for? I have time for what I'm doing. What I'm doing is of most important to me. It's more important to me than my mama. It's more important to me than my brothers. Now, if my mama and my brother can get with the program, then that's cool. But who is my mother? Who is my brother? Those who've gotten with the program. Then one of them said, oh, I didn't finish. I thought I did. Oh, I am. Then one of them said unto him, behold, your mother and your brother stands out desiring to speak with you. But he answered and said unto them, unto him that told him, who is my mother and who are my brethren? Here's another reasonable question. Did they get to speak to him? Because if you look at the next chapter verse, you'll see that he left the house and went to a solitary place. It's like it appears they didn't get to speak to him. See, they didn't come to speak to him. If we believe what Mark said, they came to seize him. They came to restrain him. They came to put him in a straitjacket and take him home and say, we got him now. We got him now. Y'all can relax. Nothing to see here. Go on back to what you was doing. Go back to your synagogues. Go back to your worship. Go back to your religion because we're going to take him. You see? Don't look like they got to. Verse 49, and he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, behold, my mother, my brethren. And then he makes this statement, which many in the Hebrews Messianic have a tendency to interpret it in a way that I don't believe was his intent. 
He says, Whosoever do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now, the way many hear this is that if somebody is preaching, especially if they use Yeshua or Yehovah or Yahuwah or Yehoshua or Yahweh, whatever sacred name they ascribe to, they would say if somebody is teaching, then that person is doing the will of Father. When the truth of the matter is, where do you get what his will is from? How do you interpret what his will is? Do you know that's not left up to interpretation? It's not left up to private interpretation. You don't have to figure that out because Yeshua has already told us. The will of Jehovah is revealed by him. John 3, 14, as, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up that whosoever believeth in him. One, the will of the almighty is that you believe in the one he sent. If you don't believe in the one he sent, then you're not in his will. You're not doing his will. I don't care how much you preach the gospel of Matthew in Hebrew or any of the New Testament writings. The book of Hebrews, you can preach it all day long, but if you reject the one he sent, namely Yeshua, can you be doing the will of him, a father? Yeshua says, whoever believe in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For Elohim so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You could be preaching that and still perish if you're not believing for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. What is he saying? Before Yeshua came, everybody was already condemned. They were already condemned. The only thing that brings you out of that condemnation is faith in the one he sent. That was the will of him who sent him. You're condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. John 6, 38. For I came down, Yeshua said, from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the father's will, which has sent me, that all of which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Verse 40. And this is the will of him that sent me that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life. What does that say about the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes? They were condemned. They rejected him. They didn't believe. They were condemned already. Again, verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. John 14, 6, Yeshua said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. John 20, 29, Yeshua said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, Speaking to what he said earlier, those who see him and believe, he says, thou hast seen and believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. That's us. That's those who came after Yeshua ascended. First Thessalonians 4, verse 3. For this is the will of Elohim, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Abstain from fornication. 
Now, the New Testament puts fornication in the category of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. It could include a number of things. Of course, the Torah puts it very clearly as it relates to holotry, whoredom, and then, of course, adultery, which is separate from harlotry. Harlotry is another way of saying fornication in the Torah because that's having sex without being married. Probably the greatest sin operating in the earth today is fornication. Fornication is that area where a person is playing married but, or operating and acting like they're married, but they're not. And now there's all these different words that identify, you know, whether you like boys or whether you like girls or whether you like both or it is so perverted, wicked, and evil, the stuff that many of our young people are engaging in. Sex before marriage means nothing to a vast majority of people in the world. Only people that it has some kind of merit is parents who are teaching their sons and daughters to keep themselves before they get married. I know growing up, my parents did a whole lot more talking to my, my sisters than they did to my brothers. The only word for the boys is don't you bring no baby home. Their word for the girls is don't get pregnant. Sexual immorality runs rampant in the earth. And there seems to be no boundaries for people today. The Bible tells us that every sin that a man commits is outside of that person. But he that commits sexual immorality sins against their own body. How can you be sinning against your body and then claiming to be the temple of God? Unfortunately, many grace-minded, grace-perverted people who believe that they are saved who believe that they are the temple of God, who believe that they are royal and holy and committing fornication, there's a disconnect because they don't believe that applies to them. And so you got sexual immorality in the so-called houses of God, in the temples. You got stuff going on, brothers and sisters, that should not be happening among individuals who claim to be people of the most high. And unfortunately today, you don't have many who are bold enough to stand up and say it because there's a fear. See, the only time you're afraid of losing people is when you're trying to build something. And say that again. The only time you're afraid of losing people is when you're trying to build something. But if you're trying to build people, which should be the focus, if they don't want to be built, they should leave. I mean, why would you come, you know, it's like you're a hammer and a nail and you got a problem every time somebody hits you and you the nail. It's like, wait a minute, you're a nail, bro. We're supposed to pound on you. <laughs> and hammer wants to go into rehab because it's tired of hitting 
It's like, wait a minute, you are a hammer. So when we are the sons and daughters of the Most High, guess what? We're supposed to be being equipped, corrected, instructed, provoked. For what? Because we're called to be holy people. We're called to be righteous people. And that's not just in our actions. It's also in our thinking. Because our minds have to be cleansed. Before your actions will be cleaned, your mind got to be clean. The perversion that is in your head has to be addressed. You got to deal with your thinking, with your thoughts. Because the words that you express come from the formulation of thoughts that produces verbal sounds. You can tell what's in your head or in your heart by the stuff that's coming out your mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth is going to speak. Listen to yourself. Listen to the people around you. The people around you will tell you who they are by the words that they say. If you got folks who like using cuss words all the time, and you got people, man, I'm telling you, what's in them is coming out. And what do you do if these are your friends? What does that say about you? It's gotten to a point now, for me, is hard. I love me. Uh, I'm going to say it like this. I love me, but there's times where I don't like what I've become when I think from a natural mind. Because I can't have a conversation. I can't have a regular conversation with people. It's hard for me to have a regular conversation with people. That's difficult. I have to ignore stuff. Like, you know, if I sit and I talk to you, we have a family chat. And this is the way my family do me, okay? They got the sibling chats. And when they want to have conversation they don't want me a part of, they have the sibling chat. The family chat, I'm going to give y'all some, I have some problem children. And as parents, my wife and I have been responsible for dealing with those problem children on our own. Children, siblings, have a way of developing a network amongst themselves. And this network amongst themselves, they can talk about their mama and their daddy all day long. Just nobody else can talk about their mama and their daddy, but they can talk about their mama and their daddy all day long, and they just be giving each other high fives, right? When we talk on the sibling, on the family chat, like here's something I, I did the other day, because like many in the world, my children who have children refer to their children as kids. Now, this is in the family chat, and I'm correcting. I'm putting the Hebrew definition of kid. <laughs> My wife said, Arthur, Arthur, Arthur. <laughs> I've come to realize I'm a teacher, and that's what I do. As a teacher, I teach. It doesn't matter the setting I'm in. I correct where I see correction needed, and there are times... I restrain from correction 
or restrain from correcting, and it's probably the most difficult thing I ever have to do. Miss Sharon is an editor. I ain't gonna throw you under the bus because I'm happy for you. Because, you know, I, I do these emails, I mean, these PowerPoints, and sometimes my PowerPoints be jacked up. I got words in the wrong place, commas, missing, all kinds of stuff. And she came to me, she says, Arthur, would you like for me to edit the PowerPoints before you send them out? <laughs> now, I could have got offended, but I was happy. <laughs> because it really didn't matter. I write like I talk. I don't use commas when I'm talking. <laughs> it's like, hey, brother, comma. <laughs> Sometimes my citizens just run on. My English teacher would have been, ooh, she, 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 she would be turning over in her grave if she knew I was doing that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to being corrected or correct, I have no issue with it because that's what I do. There are people who want to correct others but don't want to be corrected. I don't have a lot of patience for them kind of people. Matter of fact, I find myself not having a whole lot of patience with a whole lot of people, which is something I have to work at. I have to work at being patient because I'm impatient. I have to work on driving the speed limit. <laughs> it's tormenting sometimes. Especially in Charlotte and in Fort Mill. You ever have those people, you know, you in, you're behind somebody, and then you got the guy in the other lane that is close enough to the person in front of you in your lane to where you can't pass, and they just maintain that speed for miles. <laughs> I'm up in my car needing deliverance. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm going through, bruh, and it's like, Lord, help a brother here because if I get that much space <laughs> father say he had to save me you know now I'm working I'm, I'm really working hard on being a I'm already a good driver but for people's ideology of what a safe driver you know your, your version of safe driving and my version of safe driving ain't the same I don't know, you must be using an Encyclopedia Britannica and I'm using Webster or something. There's a disconnect here, right? Let me get back to the teaching. Listen, <laughs> Yeshua came to a people. Here's the takeaway for us. For me, I am constantly working on me. I was working on me yesterday. I was working on me this morning. I'm working on me even as I'm standing here. I'll be working on me tonight. I know that I still need more work tomorrow. And what I'm trying to do now is really try to find compassion for people that I have very little compassion for. Because I recognize that I lack compassion for certain types of 
circumstances and certain types of people. You know, there's that old adage, if you made your bed, you should lie in it. And it's like, you know, there are people out there who want to do evil, but don't want to have to pay and suffer the consequences for the evil they do. Now they want help to get out of stuff they've gotten themselves in. And I've come to realize in the past life, you know, that you help people get out of stuff and they go and get in more stuff. And then you help them out of stuff and they go and get in more stuff. Are you helping them? But to not help them, there's this sense of guilt, you know, that you could help them, but now you got to restrain yourself from helping them because the real help requires restraint. Some people might call that tough love. How can you say you love somebody and you won't help them when they get in a mess because you helped them when they were in messes and they haven't learned from the messes that they've gotten in. And every time you help them, just simply say to them, it's okay to get in messes because I'm going to be there for you. And if you're not there, they want to make you feel guilty and ashamed. Imagine folks getting themselves in messes and they got an issue with you because you won't help them get out of it. It's like, I didn't help you get in that mess. I'm thankful that the Almighty is not like that. Especially in the sense when it comes down to he help us even when we get ourselves in messes. But how many of you know he may not show up when we want him? But he's always on time. And sometimes he allow us to go through it. This is why I say David could write. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall feel no evil. It seemed like David has been in that valley before. And yet he saw that he was in it, but he wasn't alone in it. And I think that's some of the lessons that Father wants us to learn because some of the stuff that he takes us through, he's taking us through it. He's allowing us to go through it. You ever heard have people say, I've learned my lesson and you know they haven't learned their lesson? It's like you ain't learned your lesson because you're still in class. It's not even over yet. And that's where we are, brothers and sisters. We're in class. Father's trying to clean us up. He's trying to get all this darkness out of us. He's trying to get all of this evil out of us. He's trying to get all of these demonic. I would love to tell you that I don't have. <laughs> Sometimes them spirits be whispering in my ear. They do. Them darts, I see them coming. And what he's saying, listen, this is where you need to repent because if you don't deal with that spirit, if you don't deal with it, don't give that spirit permission to stay in you or to stay with you because if you recognize that there's an issue or area in your life and you're not dealing with it, guess what? It's not going to get better. It's going to get progressively worse. You're going to have to confront the demonic forces, the evil spirits. And the only way you can deal with that is repentance. You'll find that as you repent, but you will not repent if you're justifying a behavior. You will not repent if you're justifying a behavior. If you're justifying a behavior, you're giving that spirit permission to stay. And sometimes, and this is why I think some people who quit smoking, and then go back to smoking, 
have a much more difficult time the next time. Because now they've got company. You're going to have to confront it. And in the process of confronting it, if it's in you, guess who you're confronting? And this is where I've chosen to focus. Because the better I deal with me, I'll find that I'm getting rid of those layers and issues in me that is making it difficult for me to help you or anybody else I'm trying to help for that matter. The last thing I want to say to you before I close today, if Messiah came today, would he find faith in you? Would he find you compromising in areas in your life where you know you should be getting right? Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.